So, here we are with Matthew 22 this morning. And I'm an old Bible teacher. Uh, all, of, all of my disciple people I see in here, thank you for coming, by the way. So let's talk about what's going on here a minute before we read the Scripture. Jesus had just made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding the donkey with the palms and, and all that. Well, of course, as we know, he's there for a reason. He's there to be killed and to rise again because that's his mission. So he's just made this triumphal entry, and according to Matthew, he almost immediately goes to the, t goes to the temple and starts turning over all the tables and messing up everything. And I'm going to tell you why he's messing up everything. But strangely enough, after this, he begins teaching in the temple. Now, we've got some pretty significant players in this drama here about what's happening. we got a group called the Sadducees. we got a group called the Pharisees. We've got the Romans. We've got Jesus and his disciples. And this is Passover. Now, you may or might not know this. The, the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like each other very much. But they got along because they were in business together. They made a lot of money out of the temple taxes, trading the coinage because you had to have certain temple coins when you went in, and also they were big into sacrifice sales. They sold bulls and rams and doves and whatever else you might need. So Passover to them was like Christmas is to the Magnolia Mall. Everybody was at Jerusalem, and they had to buy all these sacrifices, and they had to exchange their money. And, and there was a huge outdoor area at the temple where all this went on. The temple itself was not a, a, a great big building. It was big enough, but mainly everything was out in this courtyard, and even the Gentiles were allowed in this courtyard. So here's Jesus, this itinerant preacher who, who really they, didn't, they weren't real concerned with, but he's coming in here, and he's messing this thing up because they're scared he's going to mess up their income flow. So, as you know, they decide that they have to get rid of him. So they, bring him, they try bringing him down a notch or two in the public's eyes because when he was teaching in the temple, they would come and ask him hard questions trying to stump him. All right? So the Sadducees did not believe in life after death. Sadducees believed when it was over is over. So they had asked Jesus a really hard question that nobody had ever been able to answer about eternal life, and as usual, he had shut them down. Y'all remember that story about the, the man marries the woman, and the man dies, so the brother marries her, and he goes through seven brothers. Who's going to be her husband in eternity? Well, they, they shut him down pretty quick. You would think the Pharisees would be tickled to death, but no... They gotta, they gotta try to show him up instead of just being satisfied. So that's probably a way long, too long an explanation of what we're getting ready to read. But this is Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46, and I'm gonna read from the Common English Bible, which, by the way, is starting to be used a lot more by the Methodist Church. I didn't know that. Art Justice told me that. Art reads everything, so. Uh, the common English Bible is, is a wonderful thing. So, here's the reading from Matthew. 
When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested Jesus. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? He replied, by the way, they're not just talking about the Ten Commandments here. They're talking about the 637 laws or whatever it was that these Jews were trying to follow. So they say, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, as the Pharisees were gathering, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They answered, David's son. He said, Then how is it that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, called him Lord, when he said, The Lord is my Lord, sit at my right hand until I turn your enemies into your footstool. If David calls him Lord, how can he be David's son? Nobody was able to answer him. And from that day forward, nobody dared to ask him anything. That's the word of the Lord. All right. So our scripture this morning makes it sound like Jesus is replacing the Ten Commandments with two. And that sounds easier, doesn't it? If we have to think of keeping track of Ten Commandments every day, that's a lot of work. So Jesus is reducing them to two, love God and love your neighbor. I like that kind of math. Seems simple enough. I can manage two commandments. Well, wait a minute. Maybe it's not quite so easy. First of all, we need to remember, earlier on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus told everyone, I haven't come to abolish the law, including those Ten Commandments, but to fulfill it. Therefore, whoever breaks one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Seems like now we've got 12 commandments. Kind of starting to feel like it. Sometimes it seems like we're surrounded by rules and restrictions and guidelines. It's easy to forget one or two or to think that by fulfilling one, we're getting crosswise on another. If I'm supposed to be honoring my father and my mother, and I'm supposed to go to church on the Sabbath, but my mother is ill, so I have to stay home from church to take care of her, am I doing a good thing or a bad thing? If I tell a lie to avoid hurting somebody's feelings, am I doing a good thing or a bad thing? Commandments are challenging. And now, here we are hearing the story of the great commandment, and we wonder what it means. It sounds simple enough. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second one is like it. That's kind of the key to this thing. I think y'all can see that coming. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
It's a boiling down of the Ten Commandments to just two, but oh, what a two they are. We're supposed to love God utterly and completely. I can do that. God's given me everything, life, the world, his love, all creation. I know I'm supposed to love God, and I can do that. But then comes that neighbor part. Y'all know what I mean. The second is like it. You're supposed to love God with all your heart. You're supposed to love your neighbor the same way. All right? Now, I'm not preaching to y'all. I'm preaching to me. The love of neighbor is supposed to be like our love for God. That's a lot harder. We find it easy to love God because God is different from our neighbor. God loves us no matter what. God loves us even though he knows exactly how messed up we can be. God loves us enough to forgive us when we make a mistake. God is always there for us, even at 3 in the morning when we can't sleep because we're worried. My neighbor probably wouldn't be too happy if I called her at at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell her I couldn't sleep and I was worried. My neighbor might get angry with me when I make a mistake that causes him some grief. My neighbor doesn't know me all that well, doesn't understand that when I mess up, it isn't because I want to cause pain, it's because I was trying to do something good and guessed wrong. My neighbor gets ticked off at me for what seems like stupid reasons, and to top it all off, He's got a yard sign for the political candidate I'm against. (laughs) Am I supposed to love that neighbor just like I love God? I don't think so. But Jesus said it. I trust and love Jesus. So what do I do? The heart of ministry, the heart of being a follower of Jesus is that love. And it's a radical kind of love and commitment. It's not the easy kind of love. It's not about sitting around with those who think the same way we do. It's about engaging with those who think differently and listening thoughtfully and offering our view respectfully and caring for them in the midst of it all. Jesus says it over and over again, both in words and in actions, Love one another. The message of this different, difficult command to love one another, no matter what, is made more poignant if we take a closer look at when the Gospel of Matthew was written. Most scholars think that Matthew was written after the year 70 A.D. There had been many battles between the various groups. There were Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and this cult of Jesus, originally viewed as just another Jewish splinter group. The Jews were under the thumb of Rome. The Jews were under the thumb of Rome. Everything was gone, especially the temple that had been the center of their worship life. By this time, Jesus' followers were no longer considered Jews. They were a separate group. So Jesus' followers in the Matthean community had less than nothing. They were attacked by Romans 
and the Jewish groups, if they followed the practices of the world around them, they would have gone silent, gone into hiding, and would not attempt to spread the word. But the fact is that they did continue to preach Jesus' gospel, even though it put them at great risk. Why? Because that was an expression of what Jesus had told them to do. If you've got good news, even if it's not necessarily the news that others around you want to hear, you have to tell it. Why? Because it's an act of love. And if Jesus tells you to love your neighbor, you want to share it with them. It's what Paul tells the followers in Thessalonica in Joshua's earlier reading. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. That's love. How then do we do this in 2014? How do we share the gospel? St. Francis said, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Use words if necessary. I listen to uh, a radio station on my satellite radio in the car that plays southern gospel music. And I love it. It's wonderful. And there's a song that goes, well, you talk talk and you walk talks, but you walk talks louder than you talk talks. This is our ministry. And this is what we're doing so well here at Central. But we need to keep, we need to keep pushing and working. It's a ministry of love. We witness when we show love in our attention, in our care, and in our actions. Think of a few right off the top of your head as Santahatchee. We do the parking lot ministry. We've got Stephen ministers here. You could, you could pretty much go on all day about the good things that we're doing, but we can't stop. We've got to keep growing. We show that love, we show that love, not only to those who have no trouble loving, but hope those we have no trouble loving, we show love to those who make us angry, to those who are cruel to us, to those who view us as stupid or misguided. The reduction of the commandments from 10 to 2 is not a mere division problem. It's a call to radical redefinition of what our lives must be if we want to call ourselves Christians. We no longer have a discrete list of do's and do nots. We have a carving away of all that is superfluous so that we know exactly what we have to do. We love pure and simple. We love God and we love our neighbor. Every word, every action, every thought must be tested against those few words. Is this something that expresses my love of God? Is this something that shows my love of neighbor? Simple and hard. Simple because it's nothing more than two phrases. Hard because it is a call to live the glory that is in Christ in all we do. But we can do it, not alone, but with Christ at our side. The psalm reminds us, may the graciousness of the Lord be upon us. Prosper the work of our hands. Prosper our handiwork. May it be so. Amen.